This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. You're listening to Seeing and Believing, a film and television podcast that searches for the sacred on screen. I'm Kevin McLenathan, and I'm currently sitting alone at a table waiting for this week's guest to arrive so that we can sit down and have a possibly uncomfortable conversation about death. If the scenario I just described intrigues you, then the movie we're about to discuss is right up your alley as well. We've got another patron pick coming up for you in today's episode. Fran Kranz's directing and screenwriting debut, the intimate character drama, Mass. I've got the host of the Screenfish Radio podcast, Steve Norton, on deck to talk with me about this new film and its exploration of grief, forgiveness, and the problem of evil. Pull up a chair and join us on this week's episode of Seeing and Believing. You say you want to heal. Is this how? We're not here to attack you. And we promised that. We want to know how this happened. We need your help with that. I'm willing to help. When you talk about blame on your part, I want to know what you're referring to. It's very hard to answer. Well, please try. It's not just one thing. Tell me about your son. What would you like to know? Everything. I want to know everything. Why? Why do I want to know about your son? Because he killed mine. Yes, listeners, we're here on episode 309 of Seeing and Believing. My voice sounds a little bit strange to you right now. That's because I have just gotten over a sickness that has gone through the McLenathan household. So I'm doing just fine. I'm just speaking maybe a little bit lower than I normally do, which I don't know. It's good to switch things up. And uh, speaking of switching things up, it's good to have another guest on the show. And this is a guest that a lot of you listeners will be familiar with. He has been on the show before. I'm really pleased to welcome back Steve Norton to the show. Steve, stay high. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much, Kevin. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's it's been too long. I think the last time we talked was, I was a guest on on the Screenfish podcast, mm-hmm. right? And we, we talked about the Oscars uh, six months ago. It seems much longer than that. <laughs> we're, we're in the time where all time is a relative construct. So, yes, but yeah, no, it was great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you were on our show back in March, and... Uh, I, I always love we when it's coming up that time, I guess, again, Kevin. But I mean, we do our sort of year wrap up and um, it's been I'm really looking forward to uh, to trying to step in this week. Well, it's it's great to have you on. Steve Norton is, of course, the, the editor of ScreenFish.net, which hosts articles on all sorts of film and television. And he's also the host of the ScreenFish radio podcast. That was the podcast that we were talking about there earlier. So definitely check that out if you ha- get a chance. But Steve, we're going to be talking about a, a film today that you know I'm really excited about. And one of the reasons that I am excited about it is that this is one of our patrons. So 
way, you know, months and months ago. It may have been even in the, you know, back in the March or April era when I was, you know, guesting on your show. We heard from a listener and patron Lindsay Dunn who wanted us to review a little film uh, called Mass. And this was a film that wasn't even out yet. Lindsay had seen it at Sundance, I believe, and just thought so highly of it and was so excited to share it with others that she that her patron pick for us to review on the show when it finally hit theaters. Well, that day has finally arrived. We're here in October, and Mass has just started its theatrical rollout, so we're going to be talking about today. Listeners, if you are interested in checking out uh, our Patreon, it would be a good time to investigate that reward level that allowed Lindsay to uh, dictate this review to us. She is, of course, a donor at the $10 a month level, which among other perks, of course, including the, you know, $5 perk that you've heard so much about when Wade was on the show, uh, allows her to pick one film per year for us to review on the show and review it no matter what it is. And in this case, this is, uh, uh, quite a doozy. So let's, uh, let's get down to it, Steve. The basic setup for mass is simple. Two couples converge on a modest Episcopalian church to have a conversation that's been a long time coming. Set up in a small room with just a table, a few chairs, and the odds and ends you're likely to find in any community church, these four people have to come to grips with a tragedy that they all share. Details of that tragedy are parceled out slowly over the course of the film, so I don't really want to spoil the details of it here in this summary, but suffice it to say that it's the sort of shattering event that parental anxiety dreams are made of. Starring Jason Isaacs, Ann Dowd, Martha Plimpton, and Reed Burney as the grieving adults, this film takes the audience on quite an emotional journey. It's written and directed by Fran Kranz, who is best known for his acting roles in a wealth of TV projects and the much-loved film The Cabin in the Woods. Uh, But he is making his screenwriting and directing debut with this film. So my question to get us started for you, Steve, is... What did you think of this film, considering that it's a debut feature, and how did you come away from it after you saw it? Well, I mean, I mean, Kevin, this is the feel-good movie of the year. And, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, honestly, I mean, this is this is a real emotional ride. This is a very emotional journey from start to finish, um, and. I mean, it's very well written, so I found it very satisfying at the end. But my goodness, it is it is such an emotional ride that it's almost tiring at the end when you come out. Um, I mean, it is it is for people dealing with trauma in a way that that you don't see a lot in in film. They just they just go at it for, you know. 120 minutes or 100 minutes or however long the film is um i i am really truly impressed for a first film at two things at two things about this that i thought were really remarkable one was i thought the script itself was unbelievably sharp um this this took an issue and let it be complex it could have oversimplified it in a number of ways but it allowed it to be complex. It it allowed the 
the shadows of the characters to to come out and at the same time you know is is the first film and i think i can say this without giving away any spoilers is the first film that that takes uh, takes a perspective that doesn't completely demonize the person the, the person that did the wrong so this is a film about a school shooting and I've never seen a film that didn't completely demonize the shooter. I'm not saying it justifies anything, and I don't want to give away any any more of the story. Um, but it takes a perspective that doesn't just it, it neither justifies anything that takes place, nor does it make that particular person to be an inhuman monster. And I thought that is really an interesting perspective, especially for a first feature. And the second thing I, I found really remarkable was his ability to draw the best out of his performers. Like so much of this film to me felt like a one act play. I actually checked to see if it was an adaptation. I assumed it was. It felt like it was a one act, a one one set one act play um, that was just being transcribed on screen. And and but his ability to take this in it's an incredible cast i and doubt is amazing martha plimpton is amazing they're they're all wonderful in it but his ability to help these these actors come together and to trust one another with this material i thought was was absolutely solid and well well done yeah the the cast Really, it's it's crown jewel here. I mean, like you said, all four of the the principles are just excellent. Um, and, you know, it's kind of hard to choose a, a particular favorite because they each kind of get their own moment in in the sun to shine, I guess. I, I, I would say that probably the one the character that most fascinates me is uh, Reed Bernie as Richard. So mm -hmm. the you know, when the movie first starts, you've got the these two couples and Jason and I. Martha Plimpton are uh, our one couple and they kind of seem like kind of, you know, just an, an every, you know, very average kind of, you know, American couple, you know, nothing too remarkable about them. And then on the other side of the table, you kind of have Ann Dowd and Reed Bernie and Ann Dowd's kind of this uh, almost like it got, gives off this almost earth mother vibe. She's just got this very soft spoken manner, this, you know, very emotionally attuned kind of uh, persona. And Reed Bernie is, you know, he's he he's the only one of them wearing a suit. He's got this very stiff uh, demeanor. He he speaks very properly. He's the most calm out of out of any of them. Like he doesn't betray a whole lot of emotion. And so you kind of go into this situation expecting, okay, this is the guy who you know you're kind of supposed to dislike. You know, he's the cold fish. He's the one who's who's meant to uh, kind of be the the force against which the other character butt up against over the course of the film and he kind of begins that way he's the most unsympathetic at least initially of all four characters but then as the movie goes on you really begin to see that there's depths to this character that are you know run very deep and i think that a lot of that is due to bernie's playing of him i think reed bernie just finds such such depths in in his character and you begin to see that this this exaggerated calm that the propriety he has is almost like a, a mask or, or a, a shield, like the the scar tissue, I guess, that, that yeah. has kind of 
resulted as uh, because of the part that his family has played in this in this tragedy and just the suffering that he's had to do and the the lumps he's had to take as part of that. And so you really or at least I really began to feel a lot of compassion for him and maybe him more than any of the other four characters, just because I had such a sense of, you know, they, they all lost something in this tragedy. But for him specifically, I got a sense that uh, there was a lot going on beneath the surface that he wasn't allowing these other characters to see. And that was just a, a really fascinating performance to me. Well, that that and that's exactly what I'm I'm talking about. That every character in this film feels very real and and fully fleshed out. Like I, I, I kept looking for the character that was going to be the villain. You know, who are we supposed to hate by the end of the film? And uh, the, each one of the performers brings such an honesty and a presence to the, to their performance um, that it, it, it's just, it's just an unbelievable thing to see. Um, the one thing that I found that, that I felt sort of held the film back and maybe it was maybe, I don't know whether that's even the right way to say it or not, but the, the fact that it is so, frozen into the one room um and maybe it's just i don't think it was that it was uncomfortable i just found that that was the one thing it didn't it these films are hard to do where it's in one location they're very difficult to manage in terms of shooting and keeping them visually moving but the performances are so good and the material is so good that it, it easily overcomes those things and I mean, I, I keep going back and Dowd and Martha Plimpton for me were are the highlights of the film uh, just because, well, I, you know, every character is so unique in their <laughs> own way. And I, I've always been a fan of of Plimpton's. I, I love her work. But there's just there's just something about this one here and the depth she has to go to as this grieving mother. Um. And it feels even when she unleashes, it feels like she's still doing it in in almost a restrained way. Um, And it's not that it feels like she's she's holding back. That's not what I mean. But I mean, she's not trying. They're not trying to push over the top all the time, like you've seen in some performances where they're they're looking for that grand moment. It just feels Mm -hmm. like a really, really painful, honest conversation to me. Yeah, uh, I mean, like you said, the the performances are really just really great across the board. And I, it's funny that you you talked about the 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 screenplay being a huge, um, you know, one of the factors that you you single out as something that you that you love uh, above and beyond a lot of the other elements. Directing is something that you kind of had a more of a hard time with because I kind of had the, a similar reaction at first to, to the directing where it seemed like it seemed kind of conventional. There wasn't a whole lot going on with it, but, and, and I was kind of wondering, you know, like, why wasn't this a one act play? But I think as the movie goes on, the way that Fran Kranz uses close-ups to really give the audience no escape from the, the pain that, that is there before them where, where the actors, you know, they, they, they aren't going big. Like, and I think a lot of the reason why, um, they aren't going big is because it would just be 
it would be unbearable to uh, make it through those close-ups where we're we're just looking at their faces and just the ways that their emotions are are playing out on on their faces and just the the ways that their their body language changes as they make a particularly painful uh, remark or as they absorb some particular piece of information. It's all written there right on their face. And I think that's kind of what makes it cinematic to me is, is that that's something that you wouldn't necessarily get from a, a stage production because there is that distance when you're in the audience uh, between the actor and and the audience on stage. And um, the, the fact that Krantz is able to use the cinematic medium in that way, I think for me, broke it or, or made it feel cinematic despite the fact that it doesn't really go anywhere other than this kind of room in a church. The thing that I kind of felt a little bit uh, less less high on was actually the the screenplay. And it's it's weird because it's not like it's a bad screenplay. Like, I, I don't think the writing is poor. I don't think there are any there's any dialogue that really rings false or hollow to me. And yet while I was watching Mass, I it did feel a little bit schematic to me at points mm. i guess like where there's you know every character does get their their moment in to shine like everyone gets their for your consideration monologue um there's there are moments where uh there there's an emotional resolution i guess towards the end where uh martha plimpton's character kind of comes to some sort of of realization maybe even a little bit of a change of heart and it's not so much that that was unbelievable for me but the way that it's kind of the way that the screenplay walks the audience through it, she basically talks us through. It felt a little bit, it, it just felt a little forced to me, I guess. And I felt like uh, maybe a, a defter touch would have would have benefited the the film as a whole. I think about you know movies like uh, Asghar Farhadi's A Separation, which is another movie about like these three characters that are just locked in a conflict, and there's just no real way for them all to reach a full emotional resolution without some sort of cost and just how well that film works um, really shows just how much of a tightrope you have to, to walk where you hold all these elements in tension without ever feeling like the, the director's pulling the strings a little bit. I think that maybe I saw a few strings in mass and, you know, I kind of wish that, that I hadn't. No, no, no. I see what you're saying there. And, and, you know, I, even with that turn, uh, without being more specific, there, there, there's a whisper of it at the beginning of the film that, to me, allowed for that. Um, that's why I didn't, I didn't find it too jarring because at the beginning of the film, there's, there's a hint that, that that's even in consideration before they begin. Um, that I sort of thought, okay, all right, this, this may, uh, that justifies it for me. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I think. But one of the things I, I liked about the film, too, uh, going back to the screenplay, going back to the writing, is because uh, to take a topic like this, um, oftentimes it also tries to force an answer. And Mass doesn't try to do that. So they, they yes. offer lots of them, lots of reasons for these things. Um, you know, there, there's arguments over things like, uh, mental health, um, violent video games, these things pop up, but nothing is specifically blamed. And I felt that 
to me, that was such a healthier way to handle an issue like this. Is there, These were four people that were looking for answers that simply couldn't find one. And uh, that's why I think for me, and, and because, yes, you're right, everybody has their, their four-year consideration moment. I like the way you said that. Um, but that's what I liked about it because the script to me felt so balanced. You know, not just that everybody got their moment, but that everybody was stuck in the same muck and mire and looking for the same sorts of answers. Yeah, I, I mean, that's 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 a fair point. And I do think, you know, credit where it's due, Kranz, Kranz's screenplay does do a pretty good job of um, of maintaining the, the complexity of the situation. It's not... Yeah. Uh, like, you know, when I was talking earlier about Reed Bernie kind of seemed like, oh, he's going to be the heel and he's going to be this, the character who it's safe to hate. Um, Kranz obviously doesn't doesn't leave that open to the audience. It's everybody's kind of uh, dealing with their own burden in this film. And Kranz doesn't try to, you know, manipulate the audience's sympathies. And, you know, that's very true to the situation that there's there's not in, in a situation like this. There's not really uh, uh, the when it comes to the parents of of parties that are involved. It's not there. There's there's sometimes nobody that a finger can be pointed at in the room saying like you are the one who made the the single mistake that yep. that caused all of this tragedy. And I think that's kind of where Jason Isaac's characters, um, Jay, uh, his emotional arc is basically trying to free himself. He is obsessively going through, you know, every step of of the way, like what could have prevented this shooting? You know, what could have what could what could we have done differently? What could have uh, the the other parents have done differently? What you know, what where was the moment where everything went irreversibly south? Where was the moment? And is there a way to kind of pinpoint that and then try to kind of find a resolution through that? And the answer is no, not really that's kind of where the the film is is trying to to lead him on on his journey is making his peace with the fact that it's a tragedy and there's not an answer for it and that's that's what's so hard about about it for him and for a lot of people in in, in these situations well exactly exactly and and uh i mean i've seen i've seen many films uh, over the years about a certain issue and and so easily they try to oversimplify it and, or or offer a pat answer and uh i was waiting for that with this one i was waiting for it to be cut down to one particular thing but the ambiguity and the suffering is what really strikes me and that's why i keep going back to the script because certainly the performers are the ones that bring you into that moment, but the script doesn't, or I, I felt at least that the script allowed them, uh, allowed them the opportunity to suffer together and find a different type of resolution. There is a type of resolution in this film without giving anything away um, that they are not looking for. I would argue, and and all these answers that they're all these questions that they're trying to have answered cannot be answered 
as easily as they wish. And uh, I, I'm just thrilled that a film like this doesn't say, you see, it was because they played Grand Theft Auto too much or something like that. You know, they could have they could have easily just pointed the finger at X and and they did. Right. Yeah. And I think that as, even for a film like this, sometimes the 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 temptation isn't so much to provide an easy path. OK, well, this is the one thing that, you know, he uh, the, the shooter played too many violent video games. And, you know, that's just that's just bad. Don't do that. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that. But I feel like a movie like this is much more apt to kind of just shrug, shrug its shoulders and just say, well, you know, like life is just bad and that's just bad and it's mm-hmm. all bad and it's bad. And then the credits roll. And right. I, I think the the where mass deserves a lot of credit is, you know, it does acknowledge the extreme pain, you know, talking earlier about those those close-ups of these of these grieving parents faces i mean it's it's hard to watch sometimes but kranz does acknowledge there there's um there's there's a spiritual thread that runs through this film that you know isn't really accentuated this isn't again this isn't a film where where it's just like well everyone just has to learn to forgive and let god in and then everything you know then the healing can begin this film doesn't even go there but it of the possibility that there there is something that can there there is a balm in Gilead, I guess, so to speak. It's telling that the you know one of the the last moments in the film is uh, is of music. Uh, some of the characters are overhearing some music happening, and it's not like some big healing moment for them necessarily, but it's it's a moment of of peace and reflection for them where stop turning over the same questions over and over in their mind they can stop running in circles and just kind of breathe and be and that's i i really was heartened to see that in this film it, i think it was a very courageous bit of storytelling and i think it it ends in a place that feels honest uh without feeling wallowing in darkness on one hand or overly sentimental on the other yeah, that's a great point. I I love what you're talking, what you're speaking about there, because that the end, the final, the final few moments of the film, uh, it's interesting because there's a space in the final in in the final few moments of the film, which feels like it's a resolution to the story, and then there's still ten minutes of film left, <laughs> and yeah, and and I remember thinking, I'm like, oh, oh, oh but we've already had the grand moment and and now we're in this space of quiet and almost this awkward normalcy and and within this context of the film there's this space that allows us to say okay we've had this conversation we've we've come to some grip on some new truths some new ways of viewing things now we have to live our lives and we have to be in this space and there is that that almost that sense of quiet i like that you said quiet reflection which is a really unique stamp for for the end of a film like this i thought that was really really interesting it's really well observed too because i you know i don't know how many of us have have been in you know one of those those prayer, uh, like a prayer meeting or something where it gets really intense and then you know 
after a while, the prayer meeting is over and everyone's still sitting in the same room. So everyone's sort of like looking around like, well, I guess we're done. Do we go eat donuts or you know, like it's it's that moment. And I think that that's that's very I guess that's an underrated aspect of the faith experience that a lot of a lot of people that, you know, maybe don't share that experience don't quite get is that, you know, that a lot of faith is about you know, transcendent and about um fixing our eyes on, on God. But, um, you know, the transcendent for us here on earth, you know, the transcendent is always bumping up against the mundane. You know, you, you, after you pray, you have to, you know, get your coat and walk to your car. You know, you don't just kind of get borne aloft by angel wings. And I think Kranz's patience in showing us that phase of this whole journey that these four characters go on together is, it's a little funny. So it's just, it feels very true and i don't know i liked it a lot let's be serious kevin the most realistic for any of us that are involved in church uh, the most realistic thing in this whole thing is trying to find enough chairs uh in the, <laughs> <laughs> the guy was like hey hey can you can you go get the oh we need to get the milk in here is this uh, no we don't need the snacks I, that's the moment of reality <laughs> i really sympathized with the, with the minor character uh the the woman bustling around trying to make sure everything is just so and making sure that the music's not too loud and that they aren't disturbed and oh do i have the right snacks here and it just you know uh i i i resonated with that strongly with that character i've been that woman that's uh that's 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 that that is exactly the way it is It is indeed. Well, listeners, that is our review of Fran Kranz's Mass. It is, like I said, currently in its rollout across the country. So definitely check it out if you have a chance and you can do so safely. Uh, this is the part, uh, a part of the show where uh, I'm actually going to let our, our patron, Lindsay, who picked this film for us in the first place. I want to let her have her say a little bit in the episode as well, because she's the one that brought this film to, to, you know, my attention and hopefully to a lot of our listeners attention. And she's really passionate about it. So, uh, here's Lindsay having a few words about what is in mass. This is a story that doles out information in pieces. So truth be told, the less, you know, going in the better. There's an air of mystery. What happened to create a need for this meeting? And why is it so difficult to talk about? Everyone enters the room wanting answers, wanting to be understood, and wanting to have their say. And yet, everyone also comes in guarded and unsure if they are safe to speak. All four of the main actors present complex and well-developed characters that, in a way, each represent one of the stages of grief. Jason Isaacs has a lot of anger. Martha Plimpton is most likely suffering from intense depression and has repressed a lot of her emotions in order to just survive daily life. Anne Dowd is stuck in sorrow. And Reed Burney is the most clinical and seems almost in denial. Each of them wants to break through so they can truly heal and get unstuck. The tension grew thick, so much that at times it's hard to breathe while you're watching this movie. You can just feel the pain they are all carrying around. Another interesting aspect is the camera work. In the beginning, when talk is cordial and on the surface, the camera stays fairly static. 
But as the conversation grows more raw and emotional, the camera gets more erratic and begins to spin in circles, catching the emotional intensity of the group. There are themes explored about grief, communal lament, forgiveness, and the unrelenting love parents have for their children, even when they have been the cause of woe. Without going into spoilers, the last 30 minutes left me astounded. This is an important and well-acted film that presents topics like gun control, school bullying, mental health, and personal responsibility from the perspective of parents. Yes. Uh, thanks so much, Lindsay Dunn, for uh, recording those words for us and for bringing Mass to, to our attention. We very much appreciate it and your support of the podcast. Uh, but we are reaching the end of the show, Steve, which means that this is the part where share something from the world of television or film that you know we want to recommend to our listeners that they check out for themselves. Uh, what recommendation do you have for us this week? Uh, well, my recommendation is what I'm calling the late for the party recommendation. Um, okay. Uh, I, I, yeah, I would not be surprised if I don't, I don't know if you've covered this series or whether you have, or whether other people have recommended before. Um, but my wife and I just discovered Ted Lasso, uh, recently. Uh -huh. And I personally think it is one of the greatest joys on television in recent years. Uh, if if uh, your listeners are not familiar, Ted Lasso it tells the story of a man who is an American football coach uh, who signs on to be the coach of a European or a British, well, football or soccer team. Uh, but he knows nothing about the game. He just has such an endearing personality uh, that he gradually seems to win people over with his uh, warmth and and heart. But it is it just like swept all the Emmys for its first season, uh, which is I thought found to be a wonderful and charming first season. It was and and just a, a delight to watch. It's the second season that we are almost finishing without giving any spoilers away that that has really struck me. Because there's some storylines in there that really uh, kick it up a notch in terms of its in terms of its interest in discussing larger issues, especially mental health. Um, uh, there's a, a, they bring in in the first episode of season two, they bring in a character who is a team therapist, and so that opens the doors for some really fascinating conversations. And as a person who is who struggles with uh, depression and anxiety, I found that to be a particularly interesting thread to a show that in the first season really wants to win you over with its feel-good vibes. Um, mm -hmm. But it's also very, very funny. And, uh, I mean, I, I know that I am one of the last people to be talking about this show because not only did it win all the, win all the awards, people have been interested in it for now for two years, um, but it really is a delight and it really has been a joy for something that we've picked up. Yeah. So I do have a confession to make, Steve. I have not seen any episodes of Ted Lasso and I know that this is 
something that I'm going to get pilloried for because I know like it, it, you're not the first person who's told me that Ted Lasso is great and I need to check it out. Uh, if any of our listeners are Christ and pop culture members over on the members forum, like there are constantly posts about Ted Lasso's greatness and I just haven't gotten around to it, but that's a really uh, great pitch, Steve, I guess. Like I haven't heard too much about the second season, but I have heard it's kind of, it's coloring outside the lines a little bit for, for the show. And I don't know. I've, I always find it interesting when TV shows do that, especially when they're, you know, found such great success with the way th- they did things in the first season. Yeah, a- absolutely. And, um, there's one episode in particularly that goes in its own entire rabbit hole. And it's funny. Most people I know that watched it said, I don't really like that, but having watched it myself, I feel like it's one of those episodes that I want to go back and study. Like it's one of those ones that's really, left or out of left field uh for the series but i i will tell you this kevin okay i was i i was once like you and i heard everybody (laughs) telling me how great it was and i said there's no way the show could be as as warm and and as enjoyable as other people are saying i'm sure it's gotten overblown and i i i am now one of those people um it did (laughs) not take me long so you, you, you were once like me. You used to be me, and now look at you—rich, <laughs> famous, handsome, and a lover of Ted Lasso. I, I obviously need to to get on this right away. There, there's time. Well, you, you have the chance. There, it's it's like Christmas morning. Um, you boy, what day is this? It's it's time to watch it's Ted, Ted Lasso, Lasso day. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, that that is a really good pitch for the show. And I do need to to check it out when I finally you know make time for another TV show in my life. That'll be at the top of my list for sure. So thanks for bringing that to share. Um, I'm going to be the the big my recommendation because I was thinking about, OK, what would be a an on theme pick for a, a review of Mass? And I was thinking about uh, The Virgin Spring, Ingmar Bergman's 1960 film about a, a horrific crime perpetrated against a a family and specifically the, the young daughter in that family. You know, this is Ingmar Bergman. So, of course, you know, there's going to be tons of, you know, uh, spiritual angst and worrying about you know, where is God in the midst of, of of pain and tragedy. So yes, it is one of those films, but I would say that The Virgin Spring is one of my favorite films of all time. I think it's just, it's a remarkable film. It's definitely my favorite Bergman film. And I picked it as my recommendation because there's a moment where Max von Sydow's uh, father is uh, praying out loud to God. He's just on his knees and in. He keeps saying, I don't understand you, God. I don't understand you, but I have to believe in you. I don't know any other way to live. And that, I think, encapsulates, you know, in a way that just the the beauty of of a hard-won faith where even when you don't understand God, you still continue uh, praising him and serving him because you know that even in the midst of pain, there's, he, he does love you and care for you. I just, I think it's, Great portrait of faith because it also it does not pull its punches man alive does it not ever pull its punches and i think if you want a portrait of hard-won faith in the midst of great pain and tragedy i think the virgin spring is just 
a very uh, a beautiful portrait of that. So if you haven't checked it out, listeners already, uh, definitely check it out. Just you know, make sure that you're not already in a in kind of a down mood when you when you see it. <laughs> Please don't confuse that with Ted Lasso. Uh, no, no, no. If you're in the mood for Ted Lasso, uh, don't go see that. But that's I, I am not familiar with that one of his films. So I will uh, I will absolutely check that out. Yeah, it's it's a good one for sure. And, you know, I'm I I really do like it a lot. But uh, that does bring us to the end of our show. So uh, thanks again, Steve, for for coming on and, you know, talking about mass with me. Uh, be- or uh, anything that you want to plug, like any recent uh, you know pieces that you've written that have gone up online that, that you're proud of or, or any uh, podcast episodes that you want to point our listeners to? Uh, absolutely. Uh, thank you for that. And, and thank you for having me on. You know that I, uh, I absolutely love coming on anytime you guys want me on, of course. I hope that your listeners don't mind my Canadian accent. Um. <laughs> no, we, how, how could we not love your Canadian accent, man? Well, you know, I want to make sure you understand what I'm talking about. And uh, this. One of these days I'm going to. Okay, this is a huge tangent. I am going to have to like sit down and ask you, is it a boat or a boot or is it just depend on which part of Canada you're from? I mean, we may not have time for this (laughs) linguistic discussion, but I've heard it both ways. And it's it's something that I just. When I want to stereotype Canadians, which should I use? I just don't know. Right. That's, that, that is a great question. Let's not get into all of it, but it just depends on which Canadians you want to stereotype. But, okay. uh, um, yeah, in terms of what we've got going on, uh, there's a lot. And I thank you so much uh, for having me on, as I said. Um, we have actually an interview going up on our YouTube channel this week with, uh, f- with uh, the director of Mass and, and Dowd. Uh, that will be on our YouTube channel and on wherever our podcasts are available uh, shortly. Um, we have we this week's episode of, our, of Screenfish Radio. We're focusing on the new Bond film. Um, and I mean, I, I if you a written piece that I was excited about recently, uh, we I just did a review on on uh, Titan, uh, which won the oh, Palm Door, yeah. and that is that is a wild ride. Um, but, uh, I, I had some fun writing, writing down my <laughs> thoughts on that one for sure, uh, as well, but they're all on, uh, they'll all be on either our, our YouTube channel or the articles on the site at screenfish.net. I'll have to check out that review of Titan. I have not had a chance to see that yet, but I can't wait. It just, it sounds like a real trip. So I, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to, to that one. It, it trip is the right word. well listeners uh you reached the end of our episode thank you for joining us this week seeing and believing is brought to you by the christ and pop culture podcast network our producer is jonathan clausen who every week helps us to search for the sacred on screen i'm your host kevin mcclinathan and i'll see you next week on seeing and believing You have been listening to Seeing and Believing, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Alexander Osborne and Lindsay Miz, used under Creative Commons License 3.0. 
This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.